0: Diseased nature oftentimes breaks forth in strange eruptions. Oft the teeming earth is with a kind of colic, pinched and vexed by the imprisoning of an unruly wind within her womb, which, for enlargement striving, shakes the old beldam earth and topples down steeples and moss-grown towers. And scene. That's it. I am certain that I am now in line somewhere to play the pot of Hotspur, the part, play the pot. <laughs> I, I knew exactly what I wanted to say, and, uh, <laughs> and I blew it. Uh, but in the spirit of uh, giving you the natural uh, whatever comes from my brain to my mouth, what I meant to say was to play the part of Hotspur in uh, Shakespeare's. Which one is that? Henry the... I think it's Henry the Fourth. He did a lot of Henrys, so it's understandable that uh, it's, it's hard to keep keep them straight. But I believe that was uh, Hotspur the Knight, who uh, was he was in a conversation with somebody. And and so, in case you're wondering, what in the hell was he talking about? If you go back, if you listen closely, and I know you want to hear me do the whole thing again, so you might as well just rewind and listen to it again. But uh, if you were to do such a thing uh it's, it's so it's kind of a like like a lot of shakespeare when people get real creative with what they're saying oftentimes they it's hard to tell exactly like sometimes they mean two things at the same time and in this case uh he's using a metaphor of of what 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 sounds like probably like describing an earthquake um or other or you know or a volcano eruption or the other sorts of Geological, geophysical activities, uh, but he's actually talking with somebody. I forget the other character in there. Um, I think they're talking about some when some when somebody was born. You know, uh, the earth shook. Basically, is the theme of the whole thing. Uh, but I thought I'm picking up from last week, folks. On uh, remember, I said I wanted to get into geophysics. And and there was some there was a story there that I started, but I didn't have very much time to to uh, to get into it because I was still preoccupied with that whole lawsuit thing. Which I'm not. I'm there's more I could say about it because more came out in the news, but uh, but I'm not. I'm not going to say anything today because I don't want any of you out there going, "Jeez, Louise, again with the lawsuit thing." We get it already. It's stupid. Um, or you may think something different and also not want to hear about it so I'm not gonna say anything about that um and I, and we are gonna we are gonna look at this whole geophysics thing and um, um but I have to tell you the truth uh, and, and that's why the quote the shakespeare quote the earth what what was it I already climbed? you heard me you heard me slam the book so uh, I've already lost the quote so I can't go back and really do it justice by, oh, well, let's see, where is it? It's uh, here. Here it is. On uh, bum, 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 bum. <laughs> Disease to nature oftentimes breaks forth in strange eruptions. That's it, right? So, uh, you know, is that a volcano or is that an um, uh, earthquake maybe? Off to the teeming earth is with a kind of colic, right? So, you know what colic is, like when a baby won't stop crying? Um, uh, not just one time, but when a when a baby cries, you know, frequently for no apparent reason. It's terrible. It's terrible. If you you ever had a kid, I trust me, I had four kids. At least one of them had colic at at one point in time. And it it is not happy. It's not a happy time for the baby or for the parents. Um, It was uh, with a kind of colic, although I think the older definition of colic is something just more in the the way of general turbulence. Pinched and vexed by the, okay, here we go. So, so nature, the earth, eruptions uh, by the imprisoning of an unruly wind within her womb, which for enlargement striving. So in other words, there's something in there and it wants to get out, uh, and it just shakes the earth and brings down steeples and towers and things like that. Uh, so you know, now you get the you get the connection to. Uh, to uh, geoscience, uh, even then, even back in Shakespeare's time, um, you know, people were fascinated by their earthly observations, what happens on the earth, what happens in the earth, what explains all of these uh, crazy, uh, yeah, I uh, okay, so I should explain something, because um, you're going to hear my chair shuffling, and, and it doesn't sound like the usual squeak. Um, you know, and I've had that, uh, that other chair for a long time, and I think the squeak, it was, it was a comfortable chair. Uh, and the squeak it became sort of part of this, like the character of the show. Like you've heard it, right? Like you've heard it, like every, I shift my weight and it goes in the background. You've all heard it. Uh, well, suffice to say that chair has found a new life. Uh, it is serve, It is now serving a higher purpose. Um <laughs> And there's a bunch of jokes I could, I'm just going to skip. And, uh, and I have a new chair coming. Um, in fact, I think it's coming tomorrow and, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a great chair. It looks, it, it's, it, it was exactly what I wanted. The only thing I don't know is whether it will have the squeak or not and whether or not I want it to have the squeak. I'm, I'm still undecided, but in the meantime, I have an interim chair, which is really just like one of these like cheap wooden, like, you know, and, and I have to even confess that I'm, I'm actually sitting on a pillow on this chair because I've been sitting on this chair all day. Well, not really. I haven't really been sitting all day, but when I have been sitting, I've been sitting on this chair, and I got to tell you, it's killing my ass. So I now I'm. Sitting Now I'm sitting on a pillow on the chair and then the pillow kind of like, you know, when you like sit on a pillow, that's not really like a cushion and it kind of like wants to squirt out one side or the other. And then, then the chair is, and then I'm trying to like reposition the chair, but you know, it doesn't have wheels. It's just like the metal legs. It's a, I know, you probably didn't need to know that, but. If, if if you don't hear the squeak in the future and you're disappointed about it, I'm sorry um, because then I'm going to guess the new chair doesn't squeak. All right, what was I saying? Uh, oh, people were fascinated with these uh, geological. I mean, they didn't they didn't call it geological back then, but these earthly observations and uh, yeah, that's that's why I, that's why I picked the quote. Now we fast forward to. Um, to uh, more modern times, and uh, where, where did we leave off? Okay, last week I got into um, uh, the, uh, the, oh yeah, the uh, grandma's, grandma's anniversary clock, the torsion spring pendulum, which was uh, created by, uh, what was that guy's name Yeah, it's, it's right here in Groundbreakers, it's here in Groundbreakers. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter, the guy, you know, the guy, he was from he was Hungarian, I think, right? He was Hungarian, and he created this thing. And it took a while for it to get over to the U.S., over to North America to be used in uh, exploration because there, there was this war that happened. You know, I think it was World War One, And uh, so people – so the folks over here had to wait. But there were some other interesting – what was that? I think I just dropped a pencil. There were some other interesting things that happened here uh, in in the same time in the way of uh, geophysical like, geophysics was brand, I mean geology was still fairly new at the time and um, much less geophysics. much less geophysics now this brings me to, to to something as I was as I was considering all this, I thought. Uh maybe, maybe before we get into that, I should let's, let's, let's hit on what is the difference between geology and geophysics. Um, because, you know, they both happen in, a, in the oil and gas world. They both happen in a similar space. Um, many times by the same people. You know, a lot, a lot of these folks are, are both, you know, have, have expertise in both disciplines. But nonetheless, they are different fields of study. And so not to worry, uh, I have done my homework and I'm here. Uh, in the event that uh, that some of you aren't clear on the difference, I'm here to enlighten you. Now, the first place I'm going to go is uh, my my very own, very own copy of Webster's New World College Dictionary. Um, it, it, this isn't it's not like this is my favorite dictionary. It just happens to be the one I have on my shelf, and uh, and it's fairly old. It's fair now. Oh, for those of you. Who aren't clear about this? Yeah, I'm talking about actual like dictionary. Uh, here, that wasn't a very good thump. There we go. That's a good. That's a good thump. Good. It's a good, good, sizable dictionary. I'm not talking about this online nonsense where they can change the words anytime they want to mean whatever the latest thing is. I'm talking about it was printed. Uh, so let it be written. So let it be done. So this one, this the dictionary goes back to um, I think the early '90s perhaps, but it was based on a, it was kind of a, a, a revision of something that goes back to the 70s. Um, we can't go back much further than that because we won't have definitions of geophysics, but where are we? Uh, here we are, page 564, uh, ge- ge- no, geographer, geogra- ge- ge- geography, here we go. Uh no, not geography, I don't want you. <laughs> Why do I want to tell you about geography? Geology, a little bit further down the page, here it is. Geology is the science dealing with the physical nature and history of the Earth, including the structure and development of its crust, the composition of its interior, individual rock types, the forms of life found as fossils, etc. I didn't know that you could use et cetera in a definition. That seems sort of like a, like a, it seems like a cheap way out. Um, But I mean, it is Webster's. So, you know, it's a real dictionary. Um, uh, And then there's like a couple other definitions that are just sort of different variations on that. The science of dealing with the physical nature and history of the earth, structure development, rock types, blah, blah, blah. Very good. Now here on the same page, uh, opposite, uh, you know. Ironically, this is on the, on the left side page. Opposite a very nicely done geologic time chart, all the different periods going back to the early Precambrian period, and uh, with a nice uh, sort of uh, description of each one. Uh, well we're not going to do that right now. All right, geophysics right here—the science that deals with a physics, with the physics of the Earth. Okay, geophysics. Uh, the science that deals with the physics of the Earth, including water. No, including... It's this, I'm sorry, folks, the type is a little small, and it might be time for me to move up to the 2.5s instead of the 2.0s. Uh, science uh, that deals with the physics of the Earth, including weather, winds, tides, earthquakes, volcanoes, etc. Another et cetera. And their effect on the Earth. So, um, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? I, that's not. That's probably not the the best. I mean, that is a very general definition, a broad definition of geophysics. Uh, so, I'm not sure if you got a good. You know, geology is about the actual structure of the Earth and the things on it and in it. And geophysics is about um, the physics of the of the Earth we need to go a little deeper folks I need to give you a better definition so um, here's what I'm going to do I'm going to ask ChatGPT or as I have uh, as I have uh, come to uh, refer to him and by the way I decided he's a him just because I can and uh, ChatGPT I now refer to him as Mr. ChatGPT. and Mr. ChatGept let's see here what's the difference between geology and geophysics. All right, here we go. Wow! Whoa! Whoa! This is a lot. I think I think Mr. ChatGPT just completed my homework assignment for me. I'll turn this in. Thank you. Um, geology and geophysics are related fields within the earth sciences, but they focus on different aspects of the earth. Structure, composition, and processes. Here are the main differences between the two disciplines. That's pretty well written, I gotta say. Um, geology. Okay, so whoa, so there's like a definition. Oh, this is interesting. So, Mr. Chatgpt, for each one, gives me the definition, the focus, the methods, and the applications. Um, so, geology is the scientific study of the Earth, including its materials, structure, processes, and history. Um that's just the first sentence in the in the definition. I'm trying to I'm trying to speed this up, folks. Geophysics is the study of the earth using quantitative physical methods including principles from physics and mathematics. Geophysicists study the earth's physical properties such as its magnetic and gravitational fields. Ah, yes, here we go. Now we're getting we're getting closer to home. Seismic waves and electrical and electromagnetic properties and thermal characteristics. So, you're getting the picture now, right? Uh, some of, I know I know a lot of you are like yeah like duh could you move on but you know maybe not everybody is familiar with the, def, the the difference between the two and maybe some of us have always wondered what is what is the difference. So now you you know a little bit. Um uh let's see geologists work in the field collecting rock samples. Remember our uh, our first geologist friend? What was his name? Um what's that guy? The uh been a bit of James Hutton. From Edinburgh, he was the head clagged to the arse that will hunt stones, if you remember the episode. I think that was the Weird Science episode, because Mr. Hutton, James Hutton, wrote uh, something called The Theory of the Earth, Uh, but apparently his ideas were a little too far out there for people at the time to get their heads around. So, um, hence the Weird Science episode, Uh, and also, uh, oh no, so what do I... (laughs) Yeah, the uh, the lack of focus is a little bit uh, more than usual today, folks. Uh, what did I say over here? Blah blah, blah 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 Geologists work in the field collecting rock samples. That's right. Back to the Mister Chatgpt definition: mapping ge- geological. So that was the thing. James Hutton was went traveled around on a horse collecting rocks. One of the you know potentially the first geologist. Uh, and they map formations and they interpret the Earth's history. Uh, based on the rock record. And uh, of course, that's used in various fields, you know, petroleum, mining, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the geophysicists use uh, a variety of techniques, including seismology. That's when you have your seism read. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I know. Seismology is the study of earthquakes and seismic waves. Um, uh, gravity magnetic electrical okay so you're getting the you're getting the idea here you get you, and if you don't it doesn't matter I'm moving on now that's the difference. Um, but this brings me to a question well let's see I'm going finish telling you I'm going to finish telling you a little bit about the the the, uh, the geophysics story the early geophysics story and then I'm going to come back to this mr. chat gypped thing because because that got me thinking. How am I for time? Uh, halfway through. All right. Um, the first geophysical methods, according to our friends who wrote a groundbreakers, uh, Mark Mao and Henry Edmundson. Uh, let's see here. The first geophysical methods. Uh, the first was magnetics. Magnetics was the first technique. So this is, I think, even before, even before uh, Mister whatever his name was came up with his torsion pendulum spring. Magnetics was the first technique, and it was based on this idea that um, some rocks, uh, you know, mostly the ones that have iron in them, uh, they, they obviously have a high natural magnetism. And uh, let's see, how do they explain this? Here? Oh, yeah. This causes minute local effects on the intensity and direction of the Earth's magnetic field at the surface. Um these effects can be measured and the resulting map of magnetic anomalies can be re- related to structure below the. Star. Okay, so uh, you know, we know that the earth has a magnetic field. The point is it's not the same. Like it's it's not perfectly uniform, uh, and it varies depending on uh, well, you know, what's between you. Well, if you're if you're the, me- the person person measuring the magnetic field, so you're the point of observation. Uh, and the uh, the the strength uh, and direction of the f- magnetic field will vary depending on where what's between you, the point of observation, and the and you know wherever the it's it's emanating from. So uh, they could, so they so they figured out. Well, we can we can come up with some ways to measure those variations, those anomalies, and that will tell us something about what is under the uh what is under the ground uh let's see here in the early nineteen twenties early nineteen twenties so one hundred years ago that's when prospectors began using a simple magnetometer uh, and by the way, that is how you say it I know last week uh I just came up last week and i, I thought is that is that how you is that how you say it? Because it sounds kind of funny to me, magneto. I just like saying it, magnetometer. Uh, it is how you say it. There's not any other way to say it. And, um, uh, and in fact, you know, and then I started thinking about it. Yeah, of course, we got, there's all kinds of things now that you can buy. There's There are a variety of applications for many different types of magnetometers these days. Uh, one such application is a compass, which we are all familiar with, at least, you uh, You know, we used to be before they started building them into our uh, phones and cars and and whatnot. Uh, But you know what I'm talking about, the the little round case with the needle in it and, uh, you know, points north, got a magnet, points north. Those of you hikers, the hikers out there probably uh, are still, uh, still, you probably got one in your pocket right now. Um, so that is a really simple magnetometer. Uh, and um, and if you if you were to go shopping for magnetometers right now, you'd find all sorts of different things, you know things for aviation and things for other other uses. and they have and they come with different uh, you know different capabilities in terms of what they measure and how they measure it and and all of that. but the, but the but the common uh, the, the basic idea, is that you're measuring some, you know, at least a couple of different properties relative to the Earth's magnetic field. And uh, in this particular case, uh, in the 1920s, they were using one that was invented by these Swedish guys in 1870. And uh, in in its simplest form, now I tried to find a picture of this online, but I kind because I kind of wonder, like, what, what does this thing look like? And the best I can tell, maybe it was, you know, some sort of a, brass case uh you know with a glass like with a with a a gauge in it of some sort and you know some sort of housing has got a mat i don't know maybe not too different from what a traditional compass looks like maybe bigger and bulkier with a few more things going on um but but this was this was what the uh this very simple magnetometer became uh very popular among the uh the oil field, folks, uh, basically for mapping potential oil structures, especially in South Texas. Oil operators had some. So here we go right here in, in Groundbreakers. Oil operators had some success using the magnetometer because it reacted to basaltic plugs often associated with oil. So basalt, uh, for those of you who, uh, you know, maybe didn't pay attention in all of your earth science classes, basalt is uh, one of those uh, dark, almost black-colored igneous rocks that uh, is is associated with oil and apparently uh, reacts in particular ways to magnetometers. So uh, very popular way to find oil, but not for very long. Only from the 1920s until the 30s, and then uh, so had had a ten-year run, and then uh, I guess what came along, gravity, and uh, then and that brings us around to that gets us back to what we talked about last week with uh, with the um, oh, who is the guy, the French scientist Charles Augustin de Colombe who. Uh, created the torsion balance. And, uh, and, and then we, and they were like, yeah, well, you know, you know, magnetics is, is fine, but now we can actually look at the gravity, the variations in gravity as we move around. Um, And we don't have to be dependent on, uh, you know, things reacting to a magnet or, or things reacting to magnetism, to a magnetic field. Uh, because everything reacts to gravity and uh, not everything, you know, not everything gives a shit about magnetism. So uh, so they started looking at gravity and and pretty soon, you know, before long, even that kind of fell out of favor and we got to seismic. But seismic's a story for another day. There's lots to talk about there. And I wanted to save, oh, yes, good. I saved a little time because I want to go back. I want to go back to this whole chat gypped thing. Because um, it occurred to me. And, well, I've been thinking about this a lot. And, you know, there's a lot of talk. But but it got me thinking about it again when I said, hey, let me look up, let me ask ChatGPT what's the difference between geology and geophysics. And um, this whole generative AI thing. Now, for those of you who uh, haven't been keeping up with the latest lingo, when they say generative AI, uh, what they mean is really content creation or creation of something. So as compared to... Other types of AI that uh, are, you know, used for analyzing or interpreting things, right, uh, taking inputs and then, you know, uh, coming up with some sort of interpretation or analysis. Uh, generative AI is, uh, is capable of generating some sort of, you know, text, images, media, something. Uh, so think of uh, chat GPT, or which is really a form of chat bot. Uh, think of the deep fakes that you've been, you've been hearing about uh, probably or seeing in movies. If you saw Indiana Jones, that was an amazing one. And I know they didn't, it wasn't perfect. You know, they didn't get the eyes right all the time. And you could still kind of tell, but, but damn, it was, it was pretty good. It's pretty good. Now it took three years and a hundred people, but, but it was good. So generative AI yeah, and and this is the point right is as we get into these various um, kind of freaky futuristic capabilities at what point um, what at what point do they help or hurt us and so there's lots of there's lots of controversy about this there's lots of discussions and podcasts and whatnot that you can listen to and um, and I don't want to and I want to try to stay to the theme of uh, of the show being oil field ingenuity. And 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 this is what it got me thinking about was um, if we start to introduce things, and I'm just talking about this industry right now. I know there's a lot to talk about. I'm just talking about this industry where we have a hundred and something years of people sw- solving, smart people solving hard problems. Uh, they did the work, they figured things out. If we start introducing too many shortcuts, too many ways to get there without doing the work, is that, uh, is that good or bad for the future of innovation? Now, I know it, it may be good, it may be more expedient to get what we need at the moment, but if, you know, part of the, uh, part of the, I guess, the, the, the arc of innovation is people continue to rise to, the next challenge, and use the the experience and the knowledge that they have from previous efforts, and they apply that to the next one. Now, you could argue, you could say, well, all we're doing if we if we use something like uh, like ChatGPT, it's just um, it's no different from you know doing some work that's based on somebody's previous work. We do that in science and engineering all the time, right? We take what the people before us have done and we, and we, we use that. We don't always go back to the very beginning. We, we use the work of the people that came before us. And you could say that something like uh, like this type of generative AI is really nothing more than that, but which is true if you're just thinking about it in terms of kind of the workflow and the progress of one, you know, thing to the next. But what does it have? And this is what I'm wondering about. I don't. I don't have. I mean, I'm. I'm not making a case for this necessarily. I'm just. I'm just pondering. Does it have an effect over time? Does it um, reduce our ability? Does it make us weaker? I guess is basically what I'm saying. Does it make people, um, you know, too many shortcuts, too many easy ways of doing things? For example, I just used. Uh, I just used ChatGPT to say what's the difference between uh, geology and geophysics and I got a really nice comprehensive I mean I really I could have used it like if if that had been an assignment given to me by a teacher I was in school it was a pretty good pretty good start there and maybe I would have needed to you know you know tweak a few things to make it sound like me, but it was a good answer. And then I didn't really have to do the work. Um, and it's not about cheating the knowledge. It's about the skills that I would acquire by doing the research. So so forget about the fact that I didn't learn it the right way, that I used a chatbot to just give me the content. The point is I didn't exercise those mental Skills, those like mental disciplines to think through a problem, work through a problem, um, and uh, you know, or or a question, in this case, but you see where I'm going with this. So, what I wonder is, and, and I don't think it happens. Um, well, so to finish that thought, uh, so if if all students were doing that, then you, you might you might wonder: do over over a couple of you know a generation or two, do we begin to have Students that are just less capable of doing what students used to do because they're not really doing it anymore. And eventually, uh, you know, you stop working that muscle. Um, you know, if, you, as, if as an individual, if you stop working a muscle and it begins to atrophy, as they say. Right. But what about as a society? You know, or is that as as, uh, let's not go wide with society because that that would be a different podcast. But as an industry, as the people in these disciplines that have made these things possible over all these years, if we stop working certain muscles, do we begin to lose as a group lose those capabilities? I don't know. You could probably make an argument uh, either way, but that was just kind of what I. Uh, That's what I was thinking about as I was busy cheating my way through uh, answering the question of geology versus geophysics. Now, um, it brings us to the question of, well, are we, I mean, are we really looking at this or how are we looking at this for the oil and gas industry? Is there really any, um, is there a case for generative AI to even really come in and do anything meaningful you know, because maybe I'm just fretting unnecessarily about the dangers of weakening muscles. Uh, What exactly are we planning on doing with this stuff in the industry? And I I have an answer for you on that, but that's for next week. So we will come back and we're going to talk about that on the next exciting episode of Oilfield Ingenuity. We'll look at what exactly are people thinking they're going to do with this generative AI stuff in the oil and gas business. But in the meantime, think about this. Nothing in nature ever continues in the same direction indefinitely forever. And we smart humans have been getting smarter and smarter for a long time. At what point do we start to get dumber?